Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 697. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Another show hits the airwaves or the space waves. We're going to jump right in today's show. It is a great story and a fantastic narration, yes, from a long-time Saltworth who used to be on Starship Sova narrating years ago, when you think we've kind of been doing it since 2006. So, yes. So the main fiction is The Leader Principle by Naomi Kanakia. Now, I hope I've, Naomi, I hope I've pronounced that right. Naomi is the author of YA novels Harper Teen and Little and Brown, literary short stories, West Branch and Gulf Coast, science fiction stories in Analog, Asimov's and Fantasy and Science Fiction, there's poetry in Cherry Tree and Valium, and essays in Lit Hub and the Los Angeles Review of Books, and a self-published cynical guide to the publishing industry. Oh, but that's fab to read. She lives in San Francisco with a wife and daughter. This story originally appeared in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction in the January February 2020 edition. Now, this story is narrated by Mark Nelson. Yes. I mean, we started in 2006 and Mark began narrating round about that time in 2006 as well. And it was just, do you know what I mean? Lovely to have him on, just, you know, to kind of get a bit of like, credit, a bit of, you know, a proper narrator on the, on the show when we first started. So, Mark, it's lovely to have you back. Mark Nelson began audiobook narrations, uh, yes, in 2006 and now has over 180 titles at LibriVox 
and recording as Harry Shaw more than 100 for Audible. While Mark mainly records sci-fi, fantasy and horror titles, he has also ventured into the classics, including Hugo and Dostoevsky. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. The Leader Principle by Naomi Kanakia Read by Mark Nelson There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Kevin Slack allowed Gobin to stay in his guest room whenever they worked too late and in the mornings he took breakfast with the slacks, just like a member of the family. At first, Gobin had found this awkward, but actually the children, Preston and Jane, were a delight. They were bright and friendly, with not just genetically enhanced intelligences, but enhanced empathy as well. "'You look tired,' Preston said. "'Is my dad letting you sleep?' "'No,' Gobin said. "'Not really.' My dad can lack understanding. You really ought to ask for help. Look, you want to know a secret? Gobin said. Preston was ten years old, with dark eyes and curly hair. Right now, he nibbled around the edges of a strawberry as he focused on Gobin. I'm not special, Gobin said. Your dad could hire another of me with no problem. But then, I wouldn't be around, and I'd miss all this. Untrue. You are extremely special, Preston said. My father is the choke point for his business, and when you free up even ten minutes of his time, those savings are multiplied throughout the organization. You, Gobin said, you should have my job. The boy narrowed his eyes. I... I don't... That would be wrong. To... to take... Now Gobin pouted in sympathy. Sometimes he forgot the kids were just kids. That's the weird thing about children. If they're smart, they're blazingly smart, and it's only when their emotions peek through that you notice how young they are. Tell you what, Gobin said. When it's time for you to help your dad, assuming he agrees, I'll step aside for you. What? Preston gulped. 
You shouldn't do that. No. If you're really going to run this thing someday, then it's important for you to learn how it all works. I'll make sure there's a job for you, Preston said. A good job. They both nodded their heads in an unconscious imitation of the quick jab of the chin with which Kevin would switch topics. They were sitting at the kitchen island in Kevin's Texas home, just a few miles from the spaceport. The cook, invisible as always, had laid out a healthy and carefully proportioned breakfast spread and disappeared. Gobin put his coffee cup into the little countertop contraption, and it filled again with coffee. Preston did the same, mirroring him, but he, like his father, eschewed the dollop of milk and sugar that Gobin put in his own coffee. "'How are you doing?' said a new voice. Janie, the slack's fifteen-year-old daughter, came around the corner, still glancing at the telescreen strapped to her wrist. With one shake the image disappeared, and she smiled at them. "'Well,' she said, "'you never answered.' "'Oh,' Gobin said. I thought you were talking to your friend. No, she said, that would have been rude. I was speaking to you. Did you sleep well? You look tired. I already mentioned it, Preston said. We should write a collective note to our dad. Okay, 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 Gobin said. Stop mothering me, creepy little kids. Jane's face fell, and she blinked several times. Gobind winced. Sorry, that was a joke. No, Janie said. I believe in looking reality squarely in the face. According to my mail, it's clear that I and Preston are extremely creepy to ordinary people. She gets lots of hate mail, Preston said. It sucks. You're not creepy to me, Gobin said. You are exceptional, she said. No. But Gobin really did enjoy hearing that, especially from a pretty girl. Janie, just as enhanced as Preston, had blue eyes, straight blonde hair, and a slender physique that, due to a testosterone hack, could easily gain and shed muscle. But it's true, she said. Now she sat on the other side of the counter and pulled the silver top off her breakfast platter. She took one bite of her omelet, after which she made a voice note. Tell Amber that the breakfast was particularly excellent today. The three of them chattered about their schedules. The kids contained plenty of unstructured time within which they could self-actualize, and their father heavily encouraged them, not just formally, but informally, through the medium of his parental approval, to waste some time each day in both social and solitary pursuits. Before being driven to her Houston prep school, Janie was planning to mess around with her banjo. Preston, on the other hand, was going to play computer games. He was grinding for some rare loot in Galaxos Online. "'I'm the leader of my guild,' he said. "'It's the top raid guild on the Neverin Shard.' "'Wow,' Gobin said. "'That's pretty impressive.' "'Our guild's space station is incredible,' Preston said. "'That's what I'm most proud of.' Now their mother came around the corner. Don't encourage him, Gobi. She stood on the other side of the counter. First, she looked at her husband's platter, then at hers, then at Gobi's. She pulled a silver plate from the cabinet behind her, and she stole the bacon strips from all their plates. 
You know, she said, when I was a kid, we did homework. You're lucky, Gobi said. I did homework, she said. My parents did homework. You did homework. Well, I was actually very bad about my homework. Oh, don't give me all that I worship Kevin Slack and I hate school stuff, Gobi. You went to Stanford. Gobi shrugged. Kevin Slack wasn't a Harvard dropout. He was a Rensselaer Polytechnic dropout. And he loved ideas and loved to chat with professors. But he still defiantly held that mandatory school was a waste of time. I'm just saying, when this generation grows up, we'll see how this no-homework thing works, she said. Gobi gave her a shy smile. After seeing the kinds of women Kevin slept with on the road, the slacks were happily and proudly polyamorous, he was always surprised that Miriam was so gray-haired, plump, and dowdy. Today she was dressed in a blouse and a pair of corduroy pants, with her hair pinned back, but often she looked rather wild-eyed. Clinic today, he said. You know it. Mom knows working in a clinic isn't efficient, Preston said, but it's about self-improvement. I don't, she shook her head. You too. She ran around the counter, putting out her fingers and poking them both multiple times in the stomach and sides. You are so silly. Mom, Janie said, stop. Silly. I didn't even say anything, Janie shrieked under the onslaught of poking, and she almost fell off the chair. When she got up, she was angry, but Miriam was unrepentant, and Janie stalked away. Miriam, apparently responding to some look in Preston's eyes, shrugged at him and said, What? Gobi knows us. Kevin prioritized getting eight hours of sleep every night, but his insomnia sometimes intervened. It was the only X factor in his schedule. He had a bevy of sleep doctors and sleep specialists, and he sometimes resorted to drugs, but this wasn't always advisable. For this reason, nobody dared to wake him on a good sleep day, which meant today he didn't come down until the children and his wife had all left. Gobi, for his part, was going through Kevin's emails. They'd already been sifted by another San Francisco-based assistant, but to ignore and or reply to even the remaining emails would have required far too much emotional labor on Kevin's part. "'Anything interesting?' Kevin said. Kevin Slack was five foot eight with gleaming gray eyes, a balding dome, and a Luigi mustache. Somewhat hyperactive, he paced the room, swinging his arms oddly as he walked, and he spoke without turning his head, which Gobi used to find off-putting until the ever-perceptive Preston had talked to Kevin about it, and Kevin had apologized for the ingrained habit, which he was still making an effort to correct. Now stopping, he turned his head to Gobind, who ran through a precy of the day's events. China at war with Mongolia, Kansas bankrupt again, more developments in a shocking celebrity murder case. "'Hmm,' Kevin said. "'I like that murder story.' Maybe try and give me some more of that gossipy stuff in the future. The summary of business operations was prepared by an assistant in New York, several time zones ahead, who had the knack of turning out several paragraphs that contained everything Kevin needed to know, and this was printed and handed to Kevin each day. It said that Kevin's business, Atmospheric Industries, as everybody essentially already knew, was a house of cards— 
a bubble financed by Wall Street's insane belief that Slack's personal genius would let him build immense profits out of nothing, and even Slack himself knew that if there was no capital infusion, the company would go bankrupt by the end of the year. Gobi, Slack said, we can't pay you any more. Okay. That's it? Okay? Well, I'll keep working, of course. I have plenty of money. I'm going to need that money, too. How much? All of it? How much is there? Most is in atmospheric stock, but I have maybe 200,000 that's not, and the equity on my house in San Francisco. You own a house? He nodded. You're 28 and you own a house. It's the house where I was living when I met you. Gobi, you're serious, aren't you? If I asked, you'd sell the house and just give me the money. Yes. Not as a loan, you get it? Well, that wasn't entirely clear, but as a gift is fine. And none of this is causing you any concern? Gobi paused. He honestly hadn't stopped to think it through. He would survive no matter what. If he really delved deep, a part of him didn't even want to survive atmospheric. Well, I mean, what you're saying doesn't make any logical sense, Gobi said. If you can't pay even me, then the company is done. Our payroll is two hundred million dollars a month. Okay, okay, so you knew it was a bluff? If you say so, he said. But I was serious. Now Slack's eyes went wide. I know you were, dude. That's the insane thing. You were serious. You believe in me. You believe in our destiny. How many people like you are there? Um, well, it would be surprising if there are many more people more devoted to you than me, Gobin said. Certainly not every employee of the company. I don't know. I could even say. Gobi, he said, I'm going to be issuing some zero-interest bonds. That's my big play. The tax lawyers don't like it because the government could argue it's a gift. The board hates it. They think we'll get sued. These bondholders will be last in line for payment. If we go bankrupt, they won't get anything. Will you buy $200,000 worth? Sure, he said. Even knowing everything you know about our financial situation? I'm not worth even close to what you pay me. All the money is play money anyway. That's not true, but don't go fishing for compliments right now. Here's your job. The people who buy these bonds, they're people who believe in our company. It's human psychology. They're going to be more devoted to this company than anyone else. And I'm going to be dipping back into that pool again and again and again. What I want is for you to figure out how to organize them. Can you do that? Yes. All of our conversations about this will be off the record. Okay. You understand why? I assume it's so you can use me as a fall guy. That's a worst-case scenario. Well, Gobin said, name a crater on Mars after me. No, not a crater, he said, an ocean. After this conversation, Gobi finished his coffee, made a mark on his wrist, the way he did with all of Slack's off-the-record conversations, and assigned it a mnemonic device so he would remember it. On their way out, he wrote notes to the budget office in New York and asked that a secret project code be assigned to him. 
These notes were delivered by courier. There was a back-and-forth exchange of notes as Slack and Gobin hopped around the world, first for hearings in D.C., then to Hong Kong to put pressure on suppliers, then to Argentina to talk to government officials about a second spaceport, in case the one in Texas was shut down by the U.S. government. On the way, Gobin brainstormed a little about himself. He was a single, in fact virgin male, with high self-esteem, overweight, bright, but underachieving. He had a different style from Slack. Whereas Kevin preferred to operate on brilliant flashes of intuition, Gobin relied upon data. So, he hired a survey firm to work with the bond underwriters and figure out ways to measure the uptake of bonds. Later that month, when Slack went on television and made his appeal for more funds, to take humanity back to the stars, he was criticized by all corners of the media, particularly since this was occurring during major disaster relief efforts in Jamaica. But the bond sold, and the company was capitalized for at least another year. One week later, Gobin received the survey results. Shockingly, many of the bonds had been purchased by libertarians who saw no disconnect between their ideology and what was, essentially, a gift to a corporate enterprise. Bondholders tended to be affluent, sometimes extremely so. Many had never donated money to charity in the past. Many had never voted or didn't often vote. They were, surprisingly, not just white, but of all races. They were predominantly men. Gobind hired a marketing firm to develop micro-targeted messages for the bondholders to include with their quarterly statements. Some of the messages were patriotic, let's rebuild America. Others were hopeful and techno-idealistic, let's make life better for all of humanity. A third set of people got no messaging at all. The messages flew out. During the next bond issuance, people who hadn't received the messages were more likely to purchase bonds than those who had. This is to me counterintuitive, Gobin said. It didn't matter how we marketed it to them. All our messaging was bad messaging. Any way you slice it, we failed. Slack shook his head. I don't really get it either. They were in the private jet, headed home for one of Janie's ballet recitals. Kevin's girlfriend, a stick-thin model named Maxine, sat next to him in a short, slinky dress. She gestured at them with her champagne glass. "'You just hired a bad marketing firm,' she said. "'I'm impressed, though, with the survey design, Gobi. You really got answers.' He nodded at Maxine. All of Kevin's girlfriends were brilliant and witty and kind. She leaned over Kevin, her whole body pressed against his. She was twenty-two, and she and Kevin only had sex perhaps once a month, but for the last year she'd gone everywhere with him. She'd practically lived in the jet, and even when Kevin was absent she left it only rarely. Sometimes Gobin wondered if she was a bit of an agoraphobe. "'I don't know,' Kevin said. "'Keep trying.' "'But why can't we figure this out?' Gobin said. How did you create me? The girl snorted, and Gobin shot her a glance. Something about these women of Kevin's really irritated him. It was truly a failing. He considered therapy, but couldn't fit it into his schedule. Couldn't fit anything. Not a girlfriend of his own, nothing. 
That night saw them back at Kevin's house. After the boss was asleep, Gobin haunted the first floor. The house was actually not large, particularly by Texas standards. Kevin didn't want a place he could get lost in. And there was security outside, but it was empty at night. He went into the library. Oh, he said. Sorry. Janie was in the armchair, leafing through a large book that lay on top of her long, tanned thighs. She wore just a thin T-shirt and a pair of white short shorts. Goby, her smile was pallid, you're back. Hey, he said. What are you looking at? Art book, she said. Cezanne. Why? Now she blinked a few times, and she gulped down a big breath of air. Goby, she said, was I good today? At the recital, he said, sure, you were incredible. At fifteen, I was, but was I the best? I don't know ballet, Janie. The answer is that I wasn't, I wasn't the best. And if I'm not even the best in my studio, I can never be the best in the world, can I? Janie, Gobi said, you don't know. She sighed long and deep, and a haunted look glimmered inside her eyes. I'm nothing. Look, Janie, he said, I was never the best in the world at anything, and I'm still fine. She looked up at him, and he saw her gaze waver. In that moment, his heart cracked, because, of course, she wasn't comparing herself to him. He wasn't genetically enhanced. He was a worm. Um, a nothing. And he tried to tell himself she was just a kid, but rage still clawed at his heart. Thanks for the pep talk, she said. He scooted out of the room, his face completely blank, he hoped, and went to his guest room, where he sat in the darkness. On his phone, he pulled up colorized images of space. Nebulas, quasars, black holes. He pulled up photos of Mars, and he told himself, it's another place, just like Earth. It's another place. I could set foot there some day. But he felt nothing. Gobind never solved the problem of how to market to the bondholders. Instead, he listened to the data. He stopped marketing and instead hired a team of salespeople to contact their top buyers and to sell them more bonds. He wanted their bondholders to be completely all in. He wanted their homes mortgaged, their bank accounts emptied, everything. All of it. His boiler room operation became a ravening maw, and he was sickened when he watched it work, particularly by the way that his salespeople didn't appear to respect the buyers at all. Landed another whale, said a kid with no neck and a deep voice. Just had to reel him in. He was giving away his money. Selling the bonds was so easy. Gobin had listened in on the phone calls. Even when the salespeople tried to soft sell, the listener would ask, Is Mr. Slack in trouble? Does he need me? How much? All talk about timelines and reports was brushed aside. Reporting back to Slack after his detour around the sales floor, Gobin said, It's like they don't even want to know the details. They just want to give you money. If they looked at the details, they might learn something that had stopped them. Yeah, it's that simple. It's a compulsion, Gobin said. 
something monstrous and hungry. Like gambling, except they don't even theoretically get anything back. Now Kevin stood, rubbing his chest through the open neck of his collared shirt, and he switched topics, asking what was next on the agenda. Over the next few years, he treated the boiler room like a license to print money, issuing bonds that had paid back the principal in ten, twenty, or even a hundred years. He kept going back to Gobin to ask for more, and Gobin kept expanding the operation, entering more and more markets. He found that the uptake in India and South Korea was particularly immense, although they also did good business in Nigeria. For some reason, Latin America and Russia were not good markets, and Gobind eventually gave up on those regions. The company gorged on this free money, and with it, Slack systematically drove every other space company out of business. At times, people complained that Slack wasn't really running a company anymore, since most companies were at least nominally expected to make a return on capital, whereas Slack's bondholders expected nothing at all. Slack was very anxious that he not fall prey to hubris, and he required all of his workers to let him know if he was screwing something up. So Gobin warned him several times that the bond scheme was unsustainable. "'I trust you,' Slack said. "'You're going to figure out the magic, figure out the secret sauce that makes people really buy.' But Gobin had given up trying." He had no idea what separated an ordinary person from a bondholder, except that it appeared to have something to do with being a man. When he discussed this with psychologists, they sometimes pointed out that men tend to have more interest in engineering and technical advances, and Gobin admitted this was true, but checking the data, even men with little education and little understanding of Slack's businesses were just as likely to contribute. With bankruptcy looming and the Mars mission nowhere near ready to launch, Slack continually pushed Gobin to organize the bondholders politically. Two million of them! Who ever heard of an organization with two million members getting shut down by the government? Running out of money wasn't quite the same as a government shutdown, but Gobin knew that Slack understood this. Still, Gobin was getting angry with the government. Slack appeared to have become the scapegoat for everything wrong with America, everything wrong with capitalism, everything wrong with society, and it really wasn't right. Gobin wanted sometimes to tell people, Look, I spend every second with the guy, and I can tell you that he is one of the few truly good-hearted public figures in this world. One night on the jet, Slack ordered Maxine, now twenty-five and still heart-stoppingly beautiful, to go to bed so the men could talk. "'Goby,' Slack said, "'you know why all our conversations about the bondholder thing have been off the record, right?' "'I think so.' Gobin was pretty sure that Slack wanted a layer of plausible deniability between himself and whatever his bondholders did to help him. "'Well, I need you to start doing it.' You mean turning them into an army? I wouldn't put it that way, but yeah. Gobin shook his head. This isn't going to turn out well. Now Slack gave Gobin one of his bravura performances. He stalked back and forth like a Shakespeare character, talking about remaking civilization, about life on Mars, about expanding to the stars, about bridging interstellar distances and achieving man's eventual destiny. 
Maxine had crept back out to the toilet cabin, and she stood there in a pair of high heels and a very short skirt, listening as he paced the carpet, fulminating about mankind this, mankind that, and the performance went on and on and on, a show stage for an audience of two. Slack made up a future history that spanned out not only the next decade, but the next ten thousand years. And when morning finally poked through the cabin windows, Slack was still wild-eyed, and Maxine, sitting next to Gobi, her head resting on his shoulder, was very warm against his side. He remembered that warmth when he sent out requests for the bondholders to self-organize by region and elect chapter presidents. He had a logo designed, had black uniforms made, and imposed on the chapters a paramilitary drill. They were organized as the government of some future state, a Martian state, and they produced numerous reports and suggestions about how that nation would one day be ruled. When a journalist exposed some corrupt business practices on the part of Atmospheric, the man was hunted down and killed. Gobind, asked for comment when the plane stopped briefly in Albuquerque, said, "'That's what happens when you stand in the way of progress.' That inflammatory comment got Gobin jailed for an hour, and when he was released on bond, he found that Slack's plane had gone on without him. Gobin drove all night to the Slack's home in Houston. When he arrived, the kids hugged him fiercely, and pressed and asked him what jail was like. Janie, more circumspect, hung around until Preston was done, and then she said, "'Thank you for protecting our father.' "'No problem.' He winked at her, and she returned to her studies. Watching her sitting cross-legged on the couch, he felt a spasm of sourceless hatred, and suddenly he knew exactly why all those men worshipped Kevin Slack. The change in rhetoric happened very quietly. Gobin sent pictures to the chapters of Slack with Maxine and his other girlfriends. He wrote a pamphlet on the unorthodox sexual arrangements that would be necessary in space. He wrote that the first female colonists would need to prioritize reproduction. Every message hit on these themes, to the point where Gobin found it ridiculous and over the top, but bond sales skyrocketed, saving the company yet again. The connection between these two things remained non-obvious to Gobin. Nothing about it made any sense at all. Exploring space really had nothing to do with subjugating women. But the messaging worked. So he kept working it. Slack, too, adopted the messaging almost unconsciously, and Gobind realized that the man controlled the masses, but the masses also controlled the man. Janie married a much older man, a fellow billionaire, and got pregnant at twenty-two, without a murmur of complaint from anyone except the now ex-wife Miriam. When the Mars colony was finally set up, men outnumbered women by two to one. And yet— the idea of the place as some sort of sexual utopia continued to persist amongst the bondholders, who subscribed in ever greater numbers. Slack continued to express genuine perplexity about the retrograde views of his followers. He believed in nothing but freedom and equality for all mankind, so why did all these awful people keep trying to associate themselves with him? But the masses took it into their heads that Slack was lying for public consumption, so they discounted everything he said and insisted that in private he agreed with them. The Mars colony wasn't very profitable. The free market was on the verge of destroying atmospheric, but Congress passed a bailout, 
and the company siphoned off more and more of the country's money into God knows where. Even Gobin couldn't keep track. Nothing made sense any more. Slack never went home except on Thanksgivings, when the whole family came together, along with the second generation. Preston, now his father's full-time body-man, hugged Gobind as he entered. Janie, pregnant again, kissed him on the cheek. Gobind was heavy and moved slowly. Still unmarried, he would be a virgin if not for a trip to Amsterdam a few years back. Turned out, sex was no big deal. Nothing to get excited about. As always, there was a meal for each of them. And, as always, Miriam went around stealing from everybody's plate. Slack had also bought a new girlfriend, another model, and she was speaking excitedly with Janie. They were both about the same age. The house was miles from anywhere, and Gobin went outside to get a breath of fresh air. Over in the distance, the rockets roared. They took off constantly now from the nearby spaceport. It was dusk, night was just falling, and the horizon line was still blue, shading quickly into the black above. He felt a hand clamp around the back of his neck. "'We did it,' Slack said. "'Look up there.' Slack pointed up, and although Gobin didn't know which star he was pointing to, he said, "'I see it.' "'Mars,' Slack said. "'We got there.' The night was gray, the stars were few, and Gobin felt nothing. But Slack was clearly experiencing one of his ever more frequent moments of ecstatic transport— so Gobin kept his eyes obediently pointed skyward. In just a few minutes he knew, Slack would get tired of the night air and want to immerse himself once more in the warm chatter and goodwill that even now awaited them in the house. And there you go. Big, big thank you to Naomi. Thank you so much. What a story, man. What a story. Thank you indeed. And Mark... <laughs> lad, eh? We're still here, lad. That's, that's the main thing. Thank you so much. So that is it. That is show 697, Put to Bed. I hope you enjoyed it. Do think about supporting the show. Yes, funds are always good. They're always going down. But if you can, pop over to Patreon and support. We're just on a, a monthly basis. That just keeps this, this, this Starship's over ticking over. That would be fantastic. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. Thank you for listening.
myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there.